Chapter Seven of A Month on the Norfolk Broads on board the Wherry Zoe and its tender, the Tub Lotus by Walter Rye. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Barton Broad and Stalham Stathe. Not having the fear of the ghostly cocks, or box either, for the matter of that, before our eyes, we moored that night just where his eel set used to be, but neither saw nor heard anything, not even a boar and otter fight. Directly after breakfast, we worked out of the channel into the open of Barton Broad, and here for the first time our visitors expressed themselves pleased with the scenery. They had been amused and interested, and, I venture to think, had enjoyed themselves in a placid way. But it was not till this great glassy smooth sheet of water, backed up by low woodland, and broken only by islands of reeds, and dotted with water-lilies, opened up to them, that they really did express themselves satisfied with their journey. Hickling is pretty, but so much overgrown that it cannot now be compared with Barton. We had to keep close to the channel shown by the white posts, or we should soon have come to grief, for the water is shallow. Luckily we had a fair wind, so we had no occasion to tack, and passing a tiny island, the very place for a picnic, we soon anchored at the mouth of the river on the other side of the broad, for we had long determined to take the jolly across to see Barton Turf and its church, with even a finer root screen than Ersted and Beeston and St. Lawrence, where the Prestons still cherish an emerald ring, given by Charles the Martyr on the scaffold to their ancestor, and where there is what is generally believed to be a saxon church the enthusiasm of our visitors grew fast here for the church was the oldest building and the park the first english park they had ever seen we then re-embarked after our walk and crossed what used to be stalham broad but which is now nearly entirely grown up at least in the summer time what a chorus of delight arose from such of us as had never been here before when we broke into this real home of the white water lilies if there was one open there must have been ten thousand all over the rivers and broads we had seen them more or less there are always what a south countryman would have thought plenty up the thern and at the mouth of the ant by st bennet's but here they were simply in profusion if all that is now said of nymphia alba is true and i fear it is for there is no reference to the water-lily in any early poet our most beautiful flower is not a native of our waters but it is hard to imagine this spot when none ever grew here so identified is it with its white cups to all who know it 
here they were in every gradation of growth glossy green buds half open buds with the white just peeping coyly between the splitting green covers the nearly open flower its best state and the great wide yellow centred well opened bloom open so far back as almost to touch the water how we wish that the blue water-lily already successfully introduced by lord walsingham at merton might thrive like its cousin and brighten up and vary the colour of these pools we were too soon over this earthly paradise and keeping the right course ran up a narrow way past a boat-builder's yard where was the frame of a very snappy little pleasure wherry on the stocks to stalham stave and were soon moored up forming the centre of attraction of all the boys and the girls of the place who ranged themselves solemnly in rows to gape at us a very liberal reward will be paid to any one who will discover a way of ridding boats from these stolid and persevering visitors something in the stink-pot line i would suggest we strolled round the town which is a largish place with a great square towered church just being restored again the antiquary was taken very bad indeed for a most interesting octagonal font was having all its old work carefully refaced and scraped till it was as bad as new had the parson or the architect showed himself just at this juncture we would not have answered for the consequences and the church would have probably needed reconsecration as it was the antiquary contented himself with writing to the papers which did not insert his letters here in the evening we got into conversation with a jovial farmer who came to the stave on business and stayed to chat later on he returned bringing us butter and apricots in a lordly dish and sat and smoked drank whisky and talked literary subjects and argued erroneously on politics for a long while over several pipes he however made a trivial mistake when asked if he personally knew the antiquary some of whose books he had read for he said he did and described that individual to his own face as small and thin to the intense delight of all the rest of us who fancied from their ocular vision that he was tall and decidedly stout and later in the evening that farmer slipped off the plank into the water and had to be helped out whether there was any connection between some doubtless sound criticism he had ventured on the antiquary's works and the eagerness with which the latter volunteered to steady the plank on his departure is a question we have never yet solved satisfactorily End of chapter seven